Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and you can find our work all over the internet. Right, Ben? That is correct. Where can they find your work in particular? Sorry, I'm just putting a cat onto another chair here. Uh, you can find my work at Motor Trend, at um, Car and Driver, and Inside Hook, and Driving Line. Let's go with those. And Ben is not only an accomplished journalist, but he's really good at multitasking, as you just heard. I have a very intrigued cat uh, circling me right now, but the problem is when he purrs, it's quite loud and it gets into the microphone. So <laughs> I haven't heard it yet. It's we'll a whole see. situation. <laughs> And you can find my work um, on autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nuvo Magazine. Um, I was in the October issue of Car and Driver, so pick that up. Woo! And you can find me in the Toronto Star as well. Sammy's, too, many, Sammy's, uh, too many publications now that I think about it. Sammy's Car and Driver debut. Go out and grab that. It's a, it's a great article about BMW making paint out of poop, I believe, Sammy. Yeah, correct? sewage. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, so now you yeah. know. <laughs> now you know. You don't need to read the story anymore, I guess. No, Thanks, you got to get those details. <laughs> if you don't have the details, it doesn't hit, it doesn't hit quite as hard. And there's some really uh, unique uh, imagery for the for the story as well. So uh, Sammy did a lot of let's say hand drawings. <laughs> and uh, before we, we, you know, before we spoil that, the, the the all the news on that car and driver article, I think Ben, we need to talk to you about what you've been driving recently because it sounds like a dream car, right? Well, sometimes when you drive a car, you fall in love, Sammy. And um, fortunately, it doesn't happen too often to me because I am a man of limited means. But uh, I recently <laughs> drove the 2022 Cadillac CT5V Blackwing, and it's it's pretty excellent. Um, it's been a while since I've driven a car that I've liked this much, and I think there's a very specific reason why. There's two very specific reasons why I liked it, uh, and I feel like if those weren't present, I might have been a little more lukewarm about the car, but okay. it is absolutely fantastic. Now, before um, we get too deep into the CT5 Blackwing, uh, CT5V Blackwing, I want to address that from what I can gather on the on the coverage of this vehicle, there used to be a bit of a um, there used to be a bit of a critical moment with its name and its engine. People were really confused about the fact that it is called the Blackwing but doesn't use a Blackwing engine. The only they thought way. That was they in- thought that was a joke, you know, and then now I think the car has kind of outperformed that criticism. I don't really d- want to get too deep into the yeah, whole Blackwing thing because the only way to enjoy a high-performance Cadillac these days is to ignore what it's called. Exactly. It's, That's it's a abs- very good point. The nomenclature is super confusing and weird, and it doesn't need to be that way, but they've made it that way. The fact that it's now a CT5 instead of the CTS, which is essentially the vehicle that it's replacing, is also strange. But... Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, Cadillac makes a V-Series performance vehicle, and they've been doing it since 2004 with the CTS-V, which was the first one. They've made a whole bunch of different V-Vehicles since then. I happen to own the original CTS-V. Yeah, you're very familiar with the original yeah, CTS-V. the car I've owned the longest. I've had it for, I don't know, 14 years now. A very long time. Um, I love it. It's it's a very basic six-speed car with a big v8 four doors and it uh 400 horsepower and a great chassis and at the time i bought it 
I did so because I was worried that cars like that were starting to disappear from the market. Um, there, there's, <laughs> How long ago was that? that? That was probably like 2009 when I purchased it. 2008. And here we are, all this time later, with more with cars similar to it. Right? Well, yes, but yes and no. So yes and no. The the thing is, I wanted a, a visceral kind of raw driving experience. There are really not any substantial electronic nannies associated with that car. Um, and I was like, you know, cars are starting to get, big V8s are starting to go away. I, I need to get on this fast. Now that kind of turned out not to be true. Big V8 stuck around, they got turbocharged, etc. But the whole six speed manual thing, it's, yep. it is an endangered species, Sammy. So the CT5 Blackwing that I drove is the only manual transmission four door sedan on the market that has a V8 in North America. Oh, wow. You can't get another one. No one makes one. It's, um, if you look at, there are still V8-powered four-door sedans, right? There's the Charger. Yeah. There's the BMW 5 yeah. Series. There's the E-Class from Mercedes. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and, you know, you can get 7 Series and whatever. They all have V8. AMG GTs or whatever. Yeah, yeah, all of them M cars, but none of them have manual transmissions anymore. Okay. The only M cars right now, I think, that have a manual are the M3 and M4. And those and are maybe six- the... Oh, there is no M2 There yet. is no Right, M2. my mistake. So those are six cylinders. Um, and the, the M5, which is the direct comparison for the CT5 V Blackwing, is an automatic. And so is the, e, the uh, E63 from, mm-hmm. from Mercedes-AMG. That is a huge deal. Um, are there know. RS cars? Audi RS cars with manuals? Absolutely I guess not. not. And not with, wow. a v, not with a V8. I don't know if there are any RS cars with a V8, period. My mistake, yeah. Uh, anyway... Um, that, that's a really big deal and I'll get into it, why it is a big deal later. But there's another thing too, that separates the Blackwing from all of the European sports sedans that it's kind of up against. And that's the fact that it's only available in rear wheel drive. Wow. Okay. So now we've got two things that have become really, um, scarce in this, in this industry, right? Scarce. Uh, I mean, you can say scarce, but I would say non-existent. There's, there is not a super sedan out there that is rear wheel drive. Oh come on! Really? Think of one. Why are you? Why are you putting me on the spot like this? If well, you because had, you're the doubting Thomas. <laughs> yeah, if you told me beforehand. Also, that's our format. Our, is our I ambush you. Are our, our Porsche Panameras considered sports events? I don't think you can get a V8 in a Panamera with its rear-wheel drive. Okay, fine. I think you can get a six, maybe a turbo. Sure. Six? Right. Um, and I mean. Um, can you get rear-wheel drive chargers? Yes, you can. But okay, okay. So uh, I guess I did it. Thank you did goodness. it. But we, we we're now talking about a world where we're comparing like a Hellcat yeah. Charger to an M5 or a CT5 vehicle. Yeah, I don't think classes, they're course. not the same vehicle, really, and they're not even the same size. Um, but those two things together, and, and and to be blunt, when there are two examples of a given thing. Yeah, you're pretty close to non-existent, right? Like, yeah. to follow your to follow your nomenclature there. <laughs> um, so, all all that to say, those two things, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it makes the Cadillac unique. There, there's there's no performance sedan that handles like this that is in the, at this level of luxury that has those two features. So right away, instead of mimicking the Europeans, which is kind of what Cadillac was doing with the original CTSV. Uh, they they've created their own niche, their own differentiation. Yeah, I think that's really that's really cool. Actually, that's really smart um, because I think in the past the V lineup has had a difficult time forging its own identity. 
um, and and making itself appealing to people who would just end up getting an M or AMG. Well, and I, now this this is a very unique product. I think the first two generations of V were very different from the Europeans, uh, just in terms of the first car was. I mean, you couldn't really get. I guess the M5 was similar to the Cadillac, but the pricing was very different for the first generation. And then the second generation, Cadillac came out with a really crazy 556 horsepower supercharged V8. And mm-hmm. um, BMW didn't really have anything to match that at the time. They, they and had, different body styles, if I remember correctly. There was a coupe, a sedan, and yeah, a wagon. Yeah, and a wagon. You know, again, these are things that BMW and Mercedes, to a, a certain degree, could, could was a better match. But uh, no, again, no manuals from, mm-hmm. from Mercedes at that time. So... When when they got to the third generation CTS, it was auto only, and it kind of stepped back into it was rear wheel drive, but it kind of stepped back in line with what people were expecting. So now you have a car, you can get an automatic with with the CT five V if you want. I'm just going to call it the Blackwing. I'm tired of saying. <laughs> okay. You can get a, an automatic with the Blackwing if you want. It's the ten speed, but sixty two percent of buyers so far have bought the manual, which is a wild statistic for a very expensive luxury sedan. After after all this time, we've been told no one buys manual cars anymore, and and you know European badges have removed those options from the order sheet. Here's Cadillac coming out with a brand new model, and and suddenly people are all about it. And I mean, we really haven't even spoken about numbers. Really, you, you you're saying this is expensive. You're saying that we've got um, so it's about 80 a media grand. V8. It's about eighty. Eight. It's about eighty grand. Except next year, it's going up by like seven thousand dollars. So I think it starts at ninety two thousand uh, okay. next year uh, for for the manual. So that's quite a bit. And of is it. there a limited amount of these that no. are coming out each year? These are as many people as many as people will buy. Yeah, as many as people will buy. It's the same engine that was found in the Escalade V that I talked about a couple weeks ago, or maybe okay. it was last week. It has a. But tiny... that's not called a Blackwing. No, again, no, I don't want to get into it. <laughs> But it has okay. it has a little bit less power. Um, okay, okay. And by by a little bit less power, I mean you're not going to be disappointed. It has 663 horsepower, and sorry, 668 horsepower and 659 pound feet of torque. That's from a supercharged LT4 V8 engine. That's um a lot. Am it's I insane. Crazy? It's the or most powerful that... Cadillac sedan that's ever been built. It is. Yes. The CTS-V 650. Would be... Oh yeah. This is uh, this outdoes the numbers, if I remember correctly, outdoes this. Yes, and this outdoes that. Yes, and it it it'll do sixty with a manual transmission in three point six seconds. Wow! It, it runs an eleven second quarter mile, like in the eleven second range. So, it's absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Um, but where where it stands apart is, again, with the manual transmission and the rear wheel drive. This is the only one of the super sedans out there where you actually feel like you're driving a car instead of having like a highly curated speed experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, we've said this before that sometimes cars end up um, doing all the driving for you, right? Well, you don't yeah. have to manage them um, or think about them all too often. They they have, you know, these really grippy all-wheel drive systems or smart all-wheel drive systems that make the car feel so much more manageable. But some people don't want that management, right? You want to feel all that juice, all that 668 horsepower. It's not even so much a question of manageable, though. It's it's also a level of insulation that this car doesn't have. Um, when you have those, those trick all-wheel drive systems, it really removes a lot of road feedback and um, options for the driver get removed as well. So... You know, you you can't use the throttle to steer in the same way. I know that the BMW M5 has like a track mode where it goes to rear wheel drive and it actually 
disables all of the nannies at the same time to do that. But that's very all or nothing kind of experience. Yeah, I don't like that, right? I'd rather be in control and work my way up to to having that. Yeah, it's it's, it's an on-off switch. And whereas (laughs) with the Cadillac, it's like... There are drive modes and there's a, there's a there's a drive mode selector where you can like program the V button on the steering wheel to uh, have whatever characteristics you want. But it's not quite as elaborate as what you find in an M5 or an E63. It's it's not crazy granular. Remember, we are, we're always joking about BMW's automatic transmissions, how there's like all those buttons on the shifter to change <laughs> yeah. shift points. And then on the dash, there's even more. Um, yeah, the- configurations for the transmission and, and the engine and all that. So Cadillac kind of backed away from that and said, like, look, it's pretty simple. Here's a setting where everything's on. Here's a setting where everything's off. We'll give you a few settings in between. And then when you're on a racetrack, it has something called performance traction management, which uh, GM yeah. cars have had for quite a while. It's a it's a really great system for backing on and off the traction control and the stability control. And it, it goes mm. from wet to like race two, I guess, is the full range of settings is maybe four or five. Yeah. The CT5V Blackwing steps um, kind of ahead of other cars from GM that have this by making it so easy to access. Like it used to be you'd have to like hit the traction control button a certain number yeah, of times. Yeah, it was times. a Konami code. Yeah. Right? And, and then it would pop up on the dash and you'd have to like tap your head and then slam your fist into the yeah. steering wheel. There's actually just a dial on the Blackwing steering wheel that goes through all of it. I don't know why it took like <laughs> I think six or seven years to get to the dial. <laughs> but I'm glad it's there. It works very, very well. I imagine it might be a Parkman thing. I don't know. This feels like it might oh, be. Oh yeah, dials different. dials are in short supply. I mean, yeah, ever since I think, the pandemic. No, no, I think, I think as a result, <laughs> I think they were trying to uh, make the the PTM or whatever it's performance traction management accessible through whatever buttons they already had, and now they have like a special dial specific for the system. Yeah, because and the they were like, "No, we're not spending money on another button." Like we for can sure. get the yeah. volume control can do it if you want. And they were like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> Exactly. Remember, you know uh, how like Land Rover has that that context control system where like you push a button, you push or you pull if you nudge it the right way, and it changes change. from like HVAC to like stereo to navigation. Imagine yeah. if you're in a Camaro and it had like a context sensitive like traction control system where you're either cranking up the volume on the tunes or turning off stability control. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that would be great. You find sure. out pretty quickly which was which. I think. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, maybe. It depends on the tires you've got. But you know what? There are other... I I just want to take a small tangent to these kinds of granular stability control systems. They're slightly r- more rare than you think they are. If I remember, the AMG GTR had one of these, like a big old dial on the dash. Do you remember this? Like, it was like a yellow dial on the <laughs> yeah, dash. Yeah, I remember that. And I remember... And I, I drove... think it had nine settings, which is <laughs> way too many, right? So that was... That's kind of an interesting take on it. Um, I drove a prototype version of that car on a racetrack, and the dial was like... It was just kind of sticking out. It was It was clearly... It wasn't finished. But that was... That one was... Uh, I would say different from PTM in that it was kind of only doing one thing. It was okay. like mostly traction control, whereas yes. PTM is more of a system. It's so, like traction stability, yeah, brake yeah. management, I suppose. So like the GTR was like a fairly hardcore on-track performance machine. Yeah, and I think that that's why. And you you're got saying that. the Blackwing definitely not hardcore performance. No, machine. I'm not saying that. I, I'm actually <laughs> saying it's it's very close to like what you would expect from a sports car, except mm-hmm. with an extra set of doors. And I know that's a t- an advertising tagline <laughs> if I've ever heard one. But yeah, it, we know. It, it really feels like they've managed to achieve a lot of that. Um, in terms of weight, the Bla- the Blackwing is only about four thousand pounds. That that makes it 
200 or so pounds heavier than my Cadillac, which is way older and has 250 less horsepower. Yeah. Um, and, and then you start looking at M5s and E63s, and they are a lot heavier. Okay. So you, you've explained to, you've explained to me what makes the, the, the Blackwing pretty um, rare in today's automotive um, landscape, but you haven't explained to me how you feel when all this comes to comes alive. I, I feel like head. I'm actually driving. I feel like the manual transmission makes all the difference in the world. I, I feel like I'm part of the experience. The fact that it's going to the rear wheels feeds into that. Uh, it, it was on Pilot Sport 4S's. I was not yeah. super impressed with those tires. It was a somewhat cold and wet week that I had with it. And by cold, I mean, you know, well above freezing, but maybe only, I would say temperatures hovered around like 40 degrees or 45 wow. degrees at night. And I had trouble with traction. Um, the, the car was never out of control. It's actually very good at keeping you in line. But uh, launching it or accelerating very quickly, like this is a car that can lose traction in second and third gear in a straight line, which is pretty intense. Um, but I might I might get, you know, slammed for this, but it's one of the few cars that I'm listening to you describe it. And it has very few gimmicks that the experience is the is the car is it yeah and and that's further fed by the fact that you know with a supercharged v8 like this 6.2 liters they have about four different exhaust settings i only ever use the super loud one the car sounds fantastic it sounds terrifying it it, it basically has like what i i when i cold started the car pedestrians on the sidewalk would jump in the air and turn around and glare at me. Wow, and that's bad. just cold start in the normal exhaust setting. I think it goes up to like 90 dB wow. in the full-on track setting. And it sounds great because it's not turbocharged. So it doesn't have that like whoomp or that muted yep. sound that you get from a turbo V8. It's much more uh, – there's there's more of a higher higher range dynamic of the sound – it sounds terrifying and fantastic all at the same time. It's really rewarding to blip the throttle. And it has auto rev matching if you want, but you can turn it off. Uh, it's it's off by default. So there's really so many different ways to engage with the car and have it engage back with you. And that's something that I think has been missing from the latest generation of super sedans. I just don't feel that level of engagement, no matter how impressive an M5 is to drive on a racetrack or an E63 is, you know, like just with the hammer down, they're super fast, super competent cars, but I've never wanted one. And I actually want a black weight. It's, it's a car that reminded me so much of my own Cadillac that I kept trying to kick my, my, my Cadillac has one of those like floor mounted emergency brakes and yeah. like you'd see in a pickup truck because yeah. that's what the parts bin was like 20 years ago at GM. I kept trying to kick that down when I came to a stop in front of my oh, house. Yes. And it yeah. wasn't there. The button for the parking brake is actually on that side of the dash nearest <laughs> to the door. So I don't know if that's an homage. But uh, I- I'm kind of gushing about this car. I feel like I don't get to do that very often. But I, I think I'm still missing some of it. You- you've told me, okay, the the, the transmission, the-, the 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 engine sounds great. Is it fast? Does it feel like it's 3. insanely 4, fast? Three point four seconds fast. Three point six, it but it's it's insanely fast. It is super quick. Uh, the chassis is very communicative. I know what's is going it on. Super stiff, or is it? No, no. It's it's got the the latest generation Magna Ride. Everything's Ooh. good. Um, with multiple Magna Ride settings, you know. Uh, and the steering. The steering is is great. It's it's electric, but you wouldn't know it. Wow. Okay. So it's like one. It's like that. That like benchmark. 
level. Like everything uh, about it, everything about this car is designed to please the driver. It looks pretty okay. good too. I had like a, a carbon fiber aero package on it, which apparently reduces lift by eighty five percent. Why isn't that on every car? Eighty five percent. Yeah, that seems like a really big. That <laughs> seems like, like a, it seems yeah. like if you just get it the normal car, it's like they forgot something. <laughs> And beyond that, I mean, this is a car with 668 horsepower. We need to reduce lift, okay, yes. guys? Whatever possible <laughs> needs to be done to the car to reduce that lift. Go ahead and do that, please. Um, please. It's a 200-mile-an-hour it's, it's car. I mean, there's yeah. no question. That's insane. I don't, so it really, I don't need that. Like, I, that's really way too is, much car for me. <laughs> it really – and I've, I've heard other journalists tell me that this was like uh, – this set their world on fire. Like, it really did. Um, just as you said, kind of make them fawn over it. This is insanely good. There's really nothing else like it. It is its own thing, and it's good. And those two things together are super rare in the luxury segment, where everyone is just basically... I mean, in, we have so many SUVs now in the luxury world that are just there to fill up a white space in the showroom, right? They have a yeah. gap. They, they don't really build to a customer. They build to a market segment. Mm-hmm. There's no market segment for this car. There's no one, no, no one at GM was like, you know what? If we get this formula right, we're gonna sell a hundred thousand of these. You know, it's no. like, it's if we get this formula right, we might sell some of them, <laughs> and and that is a great, that's a great starting point for a car because it keeps it it keeps you from building inside of a box, right? And and, and I think that I'm not saying that you know, Mercedes and BMW are building inside a box for their sedans. I just think that their horizons are more limited in terms of what they're willing to do with the M and the AMG cars. Well, I mean, I have two I have two comments on what you just said there. I think first and foremost, um, let me talk to the mic here. Uh, um, I think first and foremost, it reminds me of when we used to joke that back in the 90s, there would be like a car for like three people or whatever, like the Solara convertible, the Camry Solara this convertible. Is, the Suzuki like, X90. Yeah, just a car for whoever feels like it. Um, and we were like, remember when that was the days and all the automakers lost all their cash and making these cars these ways. Oldsmobile um, was like an entire brand <laughs> that was based around that philosophy. Um, but then when you talk about these, um, let's talk about the German car companies and how they make these cars that, that fill every possible white space. You're, you're right. I mean, we have every, every, let's, let's look at the Mercedes portfolio. You've got C, CLK, you've got, uh, sorry, not CLK, GLC, um, GLC Coupe. You have all these weird things in between, yeah, and there's you... AMG versions of all of those, and none of them feels um, unique. None of them feel or... necessary either. It's like you you look at the you can even yeah. just like direct your gaze at the midsize lineup of SUVs from any German automaker, and then look down from there. Yep. and that's all white space. All yeah. of that. All of that is designed to like. Maybe appeal to a customer who wants something a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller, not, but it's all the same thing, you know? Like, And you, you used to look at the – I feel when I was growing up and I would look at an AMG and I would my, – my, my eyebrows would raise, wow, an AMG, listen to it, look at it. it I'm sure it's a Because there a were only like three drive. or four of them, right? There was like a G55, right. an E55, a C36. Yeah. And like and that was it. Like what else are you going to get? Exactly. And you would go, wow, like, that's unbelievable. I can't wait. And now you look at the AMG lineup. First of all, they've watered it down by having this weird mid-step AMG, not a real AMG, right? Yeah, like M340. It's the same kind of deal. And then you've got the same engine and experience in a bunch of different cars that doesn't seem to be as as eye-catching, as as pleasing. And so now you've got a car that that has one 
form. The CT5 V Blackwing is it, right? That is it. And I think that's really that's really interesting. I, there is a four Blackwing, right? A there CT4. is. So the the four Blackwing. So, but that's <laughs> closer to like a yeah, this like is, old ATSV. Right? This is where things are going to get stupid here. So bear with me. Why the four Blackwing takes the engine from the CT five V non Blackwing? Oh great! Yeah. So and, just it's a turbo. It's a twin turbo V six. Yes, makes which like is a good motor. But I'm not interested in a twin turbo V six. I know. I, I know. And and. You know, I want to point out one more thing. You said this is this car is its own thing. That's more true in the Cadillac lineup than it is in the BMW lineup, for yeah. example. Where the, you can get an M5 or you can get an M550, which also has a V8 that's very, very good. If and, you want, and don't forget the M5 CS, right? If for whatever reason sure. the regular M5 was not good enough, But right? the CS is not, you know, I don't know if that's really different enough to, to really <laughs> yeah. work. But, but, but what I'm saying is there's a, there's a less expensive version of the 5 Series that still has a V8. If you want a V8 in a CT5, you can't get it unless you get the Blackwing. Okay. It is the only one. So there's it doesn't really have an understudy. Um, and there's the, the other point I wanted to make about the car is it's a lot less expensive than an M5 or an E63. Like a cup, like 10 You said 80 grand. So I would imagine that those, those two start closer to, to 100, right? Yeah. And, and once you start adding options, obviously it's a lot more expensive in the Germans than it is in the uh, the Cadillac. So it has the price advantage as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the only real downside to getting the six-speed is you can't get Super Cruise. Oh, that is a downside. And if I you, mean, it's one of the few things that Cadillac does exceptionally better than other automakers. Yeah, except in this case, they've traded that for you know, doing better yeah. with the transmission, which I think is an acceptable trade, at least for me. Yeah, that, that adds up. Okay. Um, very exciting. Very exciting era for Cadillac. Um, I mean, this, and, 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 and when you say era, this is the last one. Like, don't kid yourself to thinking we're going to get a second generation Blackwing. No, this, what I mean to say is that you've got the CT4 V Blackwing, which sounds like a very exciting um, vehicle for, you know, a different... Um, a different price point. You've got the Cadillac Escalade V that you drove last week. That felt insane. That felt absolutely bonkers. And completely and unnecessary. This, and, and, and a vehicle that C- I would never recommend anyone buying. <laughs> and you've got the CT5V Blackwing, which feels like a, like a sort of peak in terms of Cadillac performance. For sure. Coming down the pipeline is a bunch of electric vehicles. That's right. That will change. First of all, I'm not sure if automakers are have crafted what their feel will be like in electric in an electric there's, car there's yet. no way to compare these experiences that's um, right once this car is gone there will never be anything like it again and that's what i felt like when i bought my first car and i was wrong i was partially right in the sense that you know later cars had more layers between the driver and the road there's no mm-hmm. question of that and obviously this cadillac has way more layers between the between me and the road compared to my much older car um but once this car is gone, there will never be another manual transmission V8 Cadillac. It's just not going to happen. Right. It's, I'm not it's, saying that that's going to happen. I didn't say that. I didn't. I wasn't trying to say. But that, that. that's <laughs> the point. I that's the point I want to make. Okay. I don't think we can talk about this in comparison with EVs and whatnot. Those cars will replace this, but mm-hmm. they, they 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 will succeed it, but they won't replace it. Right. It'll, they'll it'll have. Be, they will do something entirely different. Yes. Um, they're already. And as are. I, yeah, and as I was trying to say, like. If they use the V nomenclature or the Blackwing nomenclature on an EV, we have no idea what that – we have no imagination of what that could possibly be, how they can they can pay homage to this situation right now. I don't think they'll, I don't think they'll even bother. I mean it's just going to be 
Okay, it's well, very... that's a, that's a lost cause. Like that's that sucks if that's the case. Well, like, I mean, look at look at high performance EVs now. It's it's they're extremely quick. They've got a lot of grip and a lot of acceleration. And there you go. Like it's every car can do that now. There's there's no the engineering behind that is very different. Yes, it's not it's it's not the same type of ex, of driving experience. So. Um, getting back to what I was talking about, curated speed experiences, that's what EVs are going to be. It's its like when you buy a processor for your PC, you can pick the speed. It's going to be like that for cars, too. It's its, it's not—it's going to be much more of an appliance. I mean, I'm not saying they won't drive well, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying they won't be fast, and I'm not saying that they won't be styled in interesting ways. But mm-hmm. I think in terms of how they engage the driver, it's going to be at a lower level. Um, anything else you want to say about the CT5 Blackwing? Should I jump in here and start talking yeah, about the... Yeah, I, I, want, I want you to, because on that note, I kind of yeah. want to hear about the car that you drove because it is as fast as this vehicle, but from a completely different perspective, the, the perspective we were just discussing. The perspective we were just discussing, which was high-performance electric cars. I'm driving the um, new Porsche Taycan GTS. It's the sedan rather than the wagon shaped um cross turismo model or sport turismo model um and i i spent a lot of time in this car man i spent over a thousand miles driving it in just about three days uh which is a which is a lot Sam, uh, tell the for, truth for, were you on the run from the law <laughs> no i don't think so in fact i think i would have i was i was behaving very um <laughs> i was obeying the law as much as possible when it came to driving this because i wanted to see um, whether or not it really did deliver um, and, and w- deliver long ranges, if you can treat a, a an electric car like this the same way you can a, um, a gas vehicle, which I mean, we both know, you know, it, it, that's like an asterisk. It's what do you mean by exactly treat it? Like in terms of a long range trip, um, okay. a long well, range road trip. I mean, yeah. and then further, <laughs> of course, yes, because. There's so much more confidence that comes in in knowing that a gas station is like around the corner, if not five minutes away, um, and can be you can get back on the road in, in five minutes. But I also got an opportunity to test um, a variety of high speed chargers um, in 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 within that you know thousand mile range. I got to see what makes those chargers kind of work, what makes them you know what kind of uh, technologies at play in the Taycan to make it feel like a little bit more. Um, practical of an electric vehicle. And of course, uh, I got to have a lot of fun with it because this is a GTS model, which sits between the 4S and the Turbo. And just like all the other GTS models that have existed in in um, in Porsche portfolios, right? Um, I think we've always said that GTS is, is among the sweet spot because it had a little bit more than what you'd get with the S models. And then it was significantly cheaper than what you would get with a turbo. So it always felt like a really good compromise. And what we've got here is a 590 horsepower electric vehicle. It is about $20,000 um, cheaper than the Taycan Turbo. So what does that make the price? Um, 134000 oh, Okay, so I, I'm glad I'm saving that money. Yes. Um, and about $30,000 $30, more than a Taycan uh, 4S. So it is... It's in the world of of Tycons, it's like smack dab in the middle. It is supposed to be able to do. Let me make sure I've got my ranges correctly because I was looking at a different number than the range that I had. But I'm going to check it for you. But it should be. What should I say about the range, Ben? 
<laughs> I don't know what you should say about the range. The range, it always sounds a little bit worse than it is. Um, this has been rated by the EPA to do, or EPA tested to do, 246 miles. Now, that's, ne- now the, the, the European rating is way higher. Yeah, significantly higher. And I, I drove the Audi e-tron GTA, and you've driven the Taycan before, Taycan, yep. Taycan, whatever. Um, and we've we've noticed that the the EPA rating is perhaps not realistic. It's um, it's too conservative, is what I is what I felt. Yes, um, you can easily do 246 miles on it on a full charge, and you can probably do a little bit more based on how you drive, right? Like with 590 horsepower, there's first of all, there's no reason to need that much power on the road well it's a very and, heavy car right like let's, let's yeah, not it's five thousand like, it's five thousand pounds i thought it was six no it's uh unladen weight is five unladen weight and i'm like there's nothing there's no like we don't have anything to put it in right ben are you there i'm here okay um anyways so that's two thousand pounds more than a 911 just just wanted to get that out there <laughs> that's what i was looking up yeah of course it is that's a full so, ton <laughs> yeah um i started this car driving this car um one of the things that is very important to talk about it's a it's a massive battery um something like uh, 83.7 kilowatt hours of of usable battery power that isn't as much as some other electric cars out there like uh even the the mustang mach e which has a bigger battery it has more range but the secret you know sort of weapon of the of the Taycan is fast charging speeds. Now this can do a charge speed of about 270 kilowatt um, if you find the right charger, which I did. And those are achievable and relatively sustainable rates. I'm not sure it would stay at 270. It ended up staying closer to 240. Well, what does that mean in the um, real world? Like how long is that taking me to charge? Okay, so <laughs> you start uh, charging car, let's say at 5%, you'll be at um, 80% within about 25 minutes. Um, and then one of the more interesting things... So that's that the same w- as a Mach-E. Very similar. Almost, yeah, almost. Um, I don't think the Mach-E is that fast, actually. It's not that fast, but it, in my experience, I was able to get from like 10, 20% to 80% in 20 minutes or so. Okay. The other thing that makes that I was really impressed with um, in the Taycan, especially when you compare it to the Mach-E, was when the Mach-E hits 80%, its charge rate drops significantly to, to the point that it would make it makes no sense to stick around on that fast charger. Um, the Taycan keeps its, its rate fairly high, somewhere around the 70 to 90 kilowatt range, which is really nice. It means that you'll get you end up getting another like the 80 to 100 in a few more minutes, like 10, 20 minutes. So you can get like a full charge in under an hour, which I think is really um, attractive. However, you have to do something, you know, important when you're when you're arriving at the ga- at the I was going to say gas station, the charging station, you have to precondition the battery. What? So, Wait a minute, why do I have to do this? What that means is when the the battery is at a at a, you know, ideal temperature, it will it will charge faster. So how long does it take to get to this ideal temperature if I just come in hot off the highway? Yeah, it could take um as far as I understand, it could take about half an hour. So you're saying that the actual charging time is entirely dependent on the temperature of the battery, which means I can't count on that 20 minutes every time? Yeah, that's right. That's not great. No, it's not great. It means that you have to rely on the um, 
what's it called? The navigation system. <laughs> wow. Uh, the navigation system and input the charging station into the navigation, the built-in navigation system, so that it will be ready. It'll get the car to that ideal temperature before you arrive. So, that it'll so take I the actually best have to pre... So I can't... I don't just show up at the station, precondition the battery, and then plug in. I actually have to do this before on the, I get on to the, the way. station. Okay, this is really not a great idea. My, well, I mean, I, it can precondition while it's uh, while it's plugged in, and I'm sorry, I don't think that does take half an hour. I'm I'm not sure. I was saying it takes half an hour. Like people would say, you know, precondition the battery about half an hour before like arriving at the gas station. Put it in the I mean the the electric station. Put it in the the navigation system within half an hour. If I don't arriving. precondition the battery, how much extra time? Like, what does the speed drop to? I would I found it to drop to about. 170 is there so any, it's not like is there any other car on the market slow, that makes no. you do this it doesn't make you do this you don't have to do this in any okay. car is there any car on the market that advertises a very high charging speed that doesn't let you get that charging speed unless you go through this elaborate process or this 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 type of planning is it the only one like if because no, I, I mean the ionic and the ev6 you know they need an ideal temperature to reach their high speeds do they re- the, do they require preconditioning i've never heard you don't that. require precondition like I'm, I'm not i don't know why this is, sounds so you're getting kind of belligerent with me about what, this. what i guess the point i'm trying to make is i spent one hundred and thirty thousand dollars on a car that advertises a feature that i can only use under certain conditions that's but, right but that's but not that's the in case the with app. all of the other electric cars the other ones will never sustain their charge rates for they a long don't. period of time are you are you sure about that? Yeah, that's been my experience. So you, you've never been able to hit the maximum charge rate on a on an Ionic or a no. or an EV6? Not for longer than a moment, really. But they don't advertise it as being a requirement to to reach it, right? Like they're just kind of relying on the battery coming to temperature on its own. Yes, I, that's what I understand. Yes. So the the Taycan has this preconditioning system that you can choose to use or not. Yeah. Okay, that's it's just so weird to me. Like I don't get it. I mean, it's battery battery technology, as far as I can understand. No, I no, I I understand the technology. I don't understand how this is being positioned. It's like it feels like a really big asterisk for charging this car, and for, and one that most people wouldn't be charge, yeah. yeah, and one that most people wouldn't be familiar with. Like, yeah, I, I, mean, I certainly yeah, wasn't. That's familiar why with I wanted it. to talk about it. I mean, you need to do this to get the best, the shortest charge charge rate for sure. Um, I think. That is one of the most troubling aspects of driving and testing electric cars is using the fast chargers and being disappointed at what um, how long it takes. See, so so when I had that, I, I don't remember if we talked about my, my Maki road trip um, on the podcast, but I, I was able to get like 125 kilowatt pulling in hot off the highway mm-hmm. and doing nothing. Right. And I think okay, the, I think the Maki I think the Maki tops out at like 150. Okay. So, so that's pretty close to its maximum. Yeah. With no preparation required. But that's part. less than half the speeds. Yes. Uh, but what I'm saying is functionally, I don't have those speeds in the Taycan unless mm-hmm. I also have that time built in beforehand. Because like, let's say you're driving and you don't know where you're going to get your next. Or what happened to me is like, and this has happened to you. You pull up at it. You, you, you try to prep the car for a station. You pull up at that station and it's broken. Right. And then yeah. you have to find another station, which means you're going to have to drive to that station. And maybe you don't have enough time to precondition the battery again. Maybe it gets hot again. You know, like it just seems like I don't know. I feel like the delta between max and real world for like a more affordable EV seems more reasonable than max and real world for this very expensive EV that requires this process. 
I'm just taking a look at what other um, Tycon owners have said. Some of them say, yeah, it does take a bit of time, like distance-wise, from the charger to get it to that that temperature. Does it does it affect performance when it's conditioning? Not performance, but it will reduce the range of the vehicle by how much? Um, I'm not sure how much, but of course, you know, you've put it in the navigation system. It'll let you know that. And I think it takes into consideration how much range you've got left and how much range you've got to go. And it'll kind of, you know, it'll calculate it to make sure that it doesn't, it's not screwing you and over. That's, that's using the Porsche navigation station, right? That's so, right. So like you can't have like a... Android Auto? No. Apple CarPlay? No, it doesn't do this. You okay. have to do it specifically through the the, the Porsche navigation. So like, this is the, even if this it's is using like plug the... share or something, like I can't really link it up. No, no. Okay. So that that is one of the interesting experiences I found. But like I said, that's what helps you get back on the road quicker. Um, and this, yeah, I had I had pre-planned the trip, the stations I wanted to visit. This is really wild to me. Like, I did not know any of this. Look, I feel you're like about I really to get, learned something to, here. You're going to get even more, um, I think, surprised because um, when I was charging at the at the station, another high-speed charging car showed up. It was a Audi e-tron. Um, which I think could support some pretty fast charge rates. Did you do like a charge race? The when it plugged in, my rate slowed down. Okay, so it was a shared. Uh... Yeah, a shared peak rate. Now this 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 didn't happen so badly when there were a bunch of uh, bolts charged at the station. I mean, um, and when are there not a bunch of bolts? Like honestly, yeah. <laughs> every station it's like an infestation of bolts. They are always there. Okay, and then. Um, but, like, I was happy knowing that um, when I, you know, I spent four hours on the road um, getting to a destination, plugging it in. I could go stretch, use the bathroom, get a drink or, or a coffee or whatever and or a lunch. And then when I come back from all of that, it's ready to go again. I was OK. I was happy knowing that. I think that was I think that and was you're the kind of guy effective. who eats like four lunches a day. So this uh, fits yeah. your lifestyle perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, the other thing to talk about is um, the driving mode. There is a driving mode that emphasizes range. It is called the range mode. <laughs> and it, what it does is it lowers the vehicle. It um, turns, it like enables the active spoiler. It reduces the top speed of your 590 horsepower um, vehicle to about, it was 140 kilometers. So I guess that is, 70 miles? No, that's uh, 80, 85. 80, 85 miles? Right around there. Um, and it also actually, um, the the terminology it used was de-energizes the front motor. So you don't get that 590 horsepower um, like you used to. What's now, the, and the, it also, How much of a benefit does it give you? Did you notice like a... a yeah, it gave me about 10, 10 to 20% in some situations. It okay. also optimizes the HVAC settings. Now, that doesn't mean it turns everything off. But it just kind of like uh, it puts it in a more energy efficient mood. I'm I guess. picturing like instead of AC, like a little arm pops out of the dash. And you know those like dollar store, you can get like a fan with like a water spray. Yeah. It like starts just misting your face with that. Just starts going at it. Yeah, yeah. I would like, I, think I mean, perfect. I would welcome that. So, you know, there's, there's this way to eke out extra range. When it dipped to, uh, when it, when I got, I can't remember if this is because, I'm going to have to look into this, but I can't recall if it was because I had a destination put in the um, in the navigation system and I didn't need the speeds above highway speeds. But like once it got below like 10 percent, it really limited the the top speed of the vehicle. Wait, but you mean like your range was below 10 percent battery? Yeah. Wow. How far did you push it? Down to like five. 
and you were confident that you would have enough to get to this charger. Yeah, I mean, like I said, the the just like the EPA rating saying it only does 230 miles, the 246 miles, the onboard computer is also super conservative. If it says you're going to get five miles on this battery, you're definitely getting four, five miles. Like that's the the worst you could do. But but you, is it five miles or five percent on the battery? Well, I had five percent on the battery. Okay, because percent is percent is percent, yeah, right? Yeah, like I know. Uh, but I wouldn't. I mean. I've already learned so much about this car just in this conversation. Is it possible there's like a set of extra cells in the battery that activate like a reserve so you don't get stranded? I'm not sure if that's – I don't know if that's true because what we know – I told you that it ha- it uses a big battery and 83.7 kilowatt hours of that battery is usable. Yeah. Now, electric vehicles don't use the full capacity of their battery. The, yes. the, the actual size of the batteries is, cl- is like somewhere in the 90s uh, in terms of kilowatt hours. So you want to know if if we really need it, will it tap into those extra three or four kilowatt hours? Yeah, because like you know, in, in the eighties that are in reserve. In the eighties and the nineties, you'd be driving like uh, usually German cars, but they would have like you would get to empty, and yeah. then like a little light would come on, and there'd be like another range on the fuel gauge that you hadn't seen. The before. reserve, they the call reserve, it. Yeah. yeah. And that's usually about ten percent uh, of the gas tank. Um, capacity and and i know that that's it's not really a reserve it's just like the fuel gauge shows you a certain amount and the reserve shows you the rest like but in my mind when i was younger i was like wow this is awesome there's like a there's like a a balloon full of gas in the the gas (laughs) tank and they're gonna pop that balloon and we're gonna get it um i also want to um tell you that i i used a different a bunch of different chargers i arrived at a charger that just wasn't working i called them told them to help me out here they said we've sent a reset um to the chargers and nothing happened which was really disappointing i think that's been my experience too with the same type of process and then i, I turned know, around the and they'd stolen I... my car <laughs> <laughs> i always wonder like when they say oh we've sent a, re- a reset request to it i'm like did you really or no. are you trying to make me sound are you just trying to sound like you're doing something so when i when i a long time ago like 22 years ago i worked tech support for like a major isp in canada and I can tell you that oftentimes there were, you know, things that we said to do that didn't do anything, but it was like part of a checklist that you had to go through. Um, and and even if they are setting a reset, if the if the station is broken, it might not even be able to receive a reset. Like yeah, we don't exactly. know. So I mean, you have to, and you you've dis- you've discovered this too. When you're finding stations where you're going, you have to look at reviews of those stations. And, like, sort them by newest because yeah. you need to know whether or not they're alive or not. It's like Yelp. Uh, it's like sometimes a restaurant has a good <laughs> reputation, but, like, recently it's kind of gone a little bad, right? 100%. It's exactly like that. And I think this is the most – and you can't do this while you're on the road, right? Like, no. I can't I mean, not legally. <laughs> while I'm driving, which is, I think, one of the most – um, really inconvenient parts of this whole experience. Yeah, because there's you like know? a whole social... The thing about owning an EV and actually living an EV lifestyle like you would a gas car is there's a whole social community aspect of it that keeps it going. It's like you're in a club yeah. of other people who have EVs and they're all trying to help each other out. Who and, are constantly inconvenienced but trying to help each other. Yes, not exactly. Be constantly inconvenienced is the perfect way to put it. I think that's <laughs> that, that that should be like a shirt you get with an EV when you buy it. <laughs> Um, I also want to add one more interesting thing about the car. Um, my model was a 2022 model year vehicle. However, there have been updates to the 2023 um, version of the car. And 
our car got this through um, some over-the-air updates, which so I that thought is was very, very cool. That is really cool. So let me explain to you what these updates were. Um, it got a different um, sort of infotainment system design, including a, a different tile screen, a different inf uh, interface, a new HUD design. They integrated Spotify into the, the Porsche Connect infotainment system. And then they added wireless Android Auto, which is pretty cool. Um, and I thought that was really, um, that's really cool. They also, remember I was telling you that the range mode kind of does that thing to the front motor? Yes. That was an update to the car. And all of that costs nothing, right? Like this is yeah. like as a rolling update. Tell. Okay. Um, that's pretty great. You like that? Do you I not like, like the fact that you've got a car that has all of these, is, is feature capable, but doesn't have those features enabled? You're okay with software being updated like this. So I had a conversation with a uh, the person at Mercedes-Benz who, um, Dr. Hoffner, he's in charge of MBOS and MBUX, the uh, the infotainment system. MBUX. Yeah, MBUX represent. And he he and I were talking about this, this idea of, you know, having a vehicle platform that allows for these types of updates versus what Mercedes-Benz had to do in the past is they had so many different types of hardware and different types of software running in various vehicles that if they wanted to make an upgrade, um, it was almost impossible. You'd have to go back to the supplier. You would have to um, renegotiate contracts. You have to buy new hardware, install it. You couldn't just send it out over the air. Um, they're looking now, at, the way he put it was you bought a car and it was the gold standard. Like you drove it off the lot and that's what that car was for the rest of its life. But he's like, now we can make that car something better if you decide you want a feature two years from now that you didn't want to pay for originally. And you're like, damn it, my neighbor has this feature. It's so convenient. I wish I'd paid for it. You can do that. That's where they're moving with the MBOS system. It's going to allow them to have that software layer across all of their platforms. So from that perspective, I like it. I know a lot of people have kind of demonized the idea that, oh, I'm going to have to pay to turn my heated seats on yeah. on a subscription basis. Yeah. Car companies are being really careful about subscriptions because they know everyone thinks it's a horrible idea. But when you add a when you add a feature that was not there to begin with, I think is is, is more interesting yes. than adding a feature that used to be standard. And the fact that Porsche did this as part of like a model year update, it's not even something that they had to pay for. I think that's yeah. really cool. I do I do like that. Okay. Um, I actually had a conversation with um, some people at JLR who said that the same thing, they, they did the same thing with the iPace and uh, were able to enable another like uh, 20 kilometers of, of range with it because of um, what the software was capable of optimizing. See, that's really cool. I mean, especially something like battery technology, which is a moving target, right? So this is what stresses me out, though. Remember, I told you that after you hit 80% in the battery, it keeps a relatively high state of uh, speed sorry, a relatively high charge speed, which is something that other EVs don't do because they say they keep the charge rates low to, to preserve. So you're yeah, worried that the opposite is happening with the Porsche. Yeah, unless, you know, they really do know something we don't or the other automakers don't and are just like, yeah, our battery can handle it. Well, maybe it's this whole preparation. This oh, whole, maybe it's the preconditioning. Yeah, maybe thing. the preconditioning yes. is what's allowing them to do that. That's a good point. I'll, I'll have to talk to them about that. Um, everything else about the car is, uh, is standard Porsche Taycan, um, material. I think it drove really well for an electric vehicle. You really do forget that this thing weighs, like, just shy of a Tahoe and has the wheelbase of a G-Class. <laughs> but, like, it really, it really rips on the road. It feels great when you're not trying to eke out every mile, uh, of the battery. 
Also, people really love the design of it. I'm not super sold on the look of it. I think it looks a little like uh, it just hasn't really clicked with me yet. It's, it's um, not as pretty as the Audi version, I would say. I think you're right. And then the cabin has a few quirks that I'm not I'm not very uh, I don't really appreciate. There's a there's a control screen where you would expect a car's gear stick to be that tells you that first of all you're supposed to control the the media controls from here like that's where the volume controls are on it's on a touch screen which is really annoying um and they have like shortcuts to a bunch of the apps on the on the infotainment system also completely unnecessary these could be buttons there's also a driver i mean a passenger facing screen that i don't like everyone who got in the car was like what am i supposed to do with this you're supposed um, to watch Fast and Furious. Yeah. Or PlayStation. Those are your One two options. One final thing I really need to talk about is that every time I locked this car, within 10 minutes of it, it would uh, of me walking away, it would the alarm would just go off. It's because it, it missed you, Sammy, and it wanted your attention again. Entirely. And I could not figure it away. Sent by. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, <laughs> I could not figure out how to not make it to make it not do this with the with the exception of just leaving it unlocked everywhere I went, which is not something you want to do with a with a, a car that that costs in the six digits. Um, so I looked it up. It turns out there's a TSB for this uh, this problem. It's it's not just my car, but why couldn't they over the air that to you? Why couldn't you call Porsche in that moment and be like, "Hey, TSB me up," and they're like, "All right, senpai," and you're like, "How did you know to call me that?" And they're like the car told me. <laughs> yeah, apparently it requires a, a different sensor, so oh, okay. it, it's a physical um, issue. That's too bad. So that's something that people uh, considering the Porsche Taycan need to need to think about. Definitely, it might have um, an alarm problem. So but I guess in the long term of things, it's not that big of a deal, is it? Well, I mean, except for the extreme stress of not being able to lock your car <laughs> and the screaming and the flashing lights on the sidewalk. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was like, oh god, I really hope this car stops drawing so much attention to it. Now, now the thieves know you're there. Yes, <laughs> and they're like, I, I, but they wouldn't take it because they know that the battery's not preconditioned. No, no, they know how to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anyways, it has it has just made me a little bit more. Again, it's like what you said. You learn every time you get one of these new electric vehicles, and again, there are other vehicles out there that have preconditioning that have that have big batteries or um, speedy charge rates or have drive modes. But this car, I think, has it kind of like all together in one package that is. With a, bit of a, with a bit of a gotcha. Yes. But now we're getting to know more and more about how the electric vehicle, you know, lifestyle works. But what, what um, It really... takes way more than one test every single time. I think that I think that's really difficult on a on an automotive on what we do, where we have to drive the these vehicles um, and try to figure out all of these little quirks that make them work. Which is something that an owner will do over the lifespan of the vehicle. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That is the ownership experience is different from what we do. And most people probably don't even need to use the the DC fast charging. No, but the DC fast charging is most useful in a situation where you're least likely to have a preconditioned battery. And that's what gets me about it. It's like you need it when you're pulling off the highway and you want to keep going on your journey. And it's like to get to the to, to really take advantage of the feature that maybe is why you bought the car. You have to go through this extra step that might not be immediately obvious or that might set you back because, oh, maybe I forgot to do it this time. And now it's an extra 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever it is. Right. Absolutely. So that's it's I would be super impressed if Porsche had an automatic system that was always conditioning the battery or something like that. Or if you drop below a certain speed, it would condition. the battery. Maybe that's why it has such a conservative um, 
range estimation. I mean, I think the conservative range estimation is because the EPA doesn't really know how to test <laughs> EVs yet. Like, I feel like they're still <laughs> feeling that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's all I got for this week. So, um, I mean, if, if anyone out there has any preconditioning feelings that they want to talk about, or if they, if you want to get Sammy's attention but can't flash the horns and lights on his car, um, there's an easy way to do that online. You can go to www.unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and use the contact form there to send us a message. You can also find us on uh, Twitter. Uh, Sammy is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. I'm on Instagram where people are just generally friendlier. I'm at Hunting Benjamin, or you can email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Very cool. Um, there's nothing else. I don't have anything else to really plug at this point. I mean, you, you can go could, to our ko-fi, ko-fi.com. Com slash unnamed automotive podcast and give us a little tip. And what about and, people want to subscribe? Where can they do that? Oh, come on, Ben. These people know how to subscribe. They just use their, you know, what if, what if they're hearing this podcast in the wild? <laughs> <laughs> they need to figure it out. Um, you just go to your podcatcher, search for us, unnamed automotive podcast, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get the next episode immediately as soon as it's available. And those ben, are two different are, things <laughs> yeah sorry as soon as it's available you'll be able to get it ben what are we talking about next week i'm going to be talking about a trip i'm taking to uh carlisle pennsylvania to the east coast's largest automotive swap meet uh which has kind of been changing over the years with the emergence of you know the whole internet market thing uh, yes. um, so i'm i'm i've never been there and I'm super curious. I'm going with my dad. It's a it's a quite a trip. It's going to be about nine hours of driving one way, uh, and I'm very curious to see what that's going to be like. And uh, what I'm discussing will be D- TDB, I guess, or wow. TBD. Now okay. that I think about it, or TCB uh, even. Yes, of course. Usually, so you'll want to check in and see what my little surprise is. I suppose. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>